Hey, good morning, everyone. Today is the uh, first Sunday after Christmas, so Merry Christmas. Um, we continue our celebration of Christmas, even though um, some of the songs have already gone off the air and some people might be taking decorations down already. Uh, there's a reason for the 12 days of Christmas song. Uh, there are literally 12 days of Christmas until Epiphany. Um, and so if you uh, did not have some of your favorite Christmas hymn, hymns sung at whatever service you tuned into or attended, just wait. <laughs> we still have more Christmas services. Uh, and so we cover most of our Christmas hymns from Christmas Eve, Christmas Midnight, Christmas Day, first Sunday of Christmas, second Sunday of Christmas. Um, so we, we cover them all that way. Um, so um, there's always a few people that email me, oh, I wish we would have sung this hymn or that hymn. I hear you loud and clear. There's no way we can get everybody's favorite <laughs> at whatever service you decide to attend. So if you really want to sing your favorite hymn, what I would tell you is come to every service we offer, and uh, we'll make sure we cover it. So there you go, okay? Um, let's see. Today is Pastor Grady's birthday, so email him, call him. Um, he said he's 100. I don't believe him. Um, so just another day, but if you see Pastor Grady, uh, please wish him uh, a wonderful uh, birthday today. Uh, he also had the privilege of doing something not many pastors have the opportunity to do, and that's to baptize a child on the day of their birthday. And so we had a, a baptism uh, this morning uh, for the uh, Fordyce uh, son, little Charlie, and uh, so what a, what a blessing that was as well, okay? Um, don't know too much. Uh, all the rest of our activities here uh, for church, um, uh, we're on Christmas break now this week. Uh, Juanita's got a day off tomorrow. I'll be in the office tomorrow and Tuesday. And then I'm going to take a few days off uh, finally here uh, just with my family at the end of this week. Don't know yet whether we're going to sneak out of town or whether we're going to stay here. Still evaluating that situation. Um, so no Bible classes, no catechism. Everything will start back up next week. Okay? Um, oh, there he is. Oh, you need to get this on. He needs to come up front. Oh, you got to come up here. This is hilarious. I'm going to move this back out of the way. Could somebody, uh, could somebody help Pastor Grady up on the stage? So as I've said since I arrived two years ago, you need to come up a little further so they can see. I don't know. I want you to fall. Are you okay there? Made it. Okay, you made it. Made it. All right, here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Pastor Grady. Happy birthday to you. God's blessings to you, God's blessings to you, God's blessings, Pastor Grady, God's blessings to you. <laughs> ta, 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 ta. I've always told him I might be the, the senior in title, but he's really the senior pastor, so. <laughs> Happy birthday, buddy. That's awesome. Love it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Any other announcements uh, from a few of our leaders that are here? Anything else I'm missing? I think that's about it. I pray your uh, Christmas celebrations uh, were a blessing uh, with family, uh, even if it was just a few of you, and uh, good things yet to come. All right. Uh, we're going to dive into uh, Daniel chapter 9. We actually uh, read through at least the first part of chapter 9. Uh, which is Daniel's prayer. We didn't cover all of it. So we're going to go ahead and reread through chapter 9 and uh, talk about this, this wonderful prayer of Daniel's, 
highlight a few things. We want to get in and talk about the uh, 70 times 7, the 70 uh, years, 70 weeks, and we'll, we'll talk about how that's translated and, uh, and understood uh, that is mentioned there, because in Daniel chapter 9, in the midst of his prayer and what Gabriel reveals to Daniel, there is some great uh, prophecy, again, that we understand from the rest of Scripture. So, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, our Maker and Redeemer, you wonderfully created us, and in the incarnation of your Son, yet more wondrously restored our human nature. Grant that we may ever be alive in Him who made Himself to be like us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, Daniel chapter 9. Let's go ahead and do that. Open up your Bibles or follow along up on the screen with us. Um, again, we read the first part of the prayer here, but I want to I cover it again. Uh, it's just absolutely marvelous here of what's going on in Daniel chapter 9. So, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descendant of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations, plural, of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So, we're talking right around 538 uh, B.C., that all of this has taken place, and there's a change now in Babylon. They are conquered uh, by Cyrus. Darius is either Cyrus himself, or Darius is just um, another um, uh, under-shepherd king governor of Cyrus itself. Uh, there's some, some fun history stuff that's uh, examined with that. We don't know exactly for sure. Uh, Daniel is uh, studying the books. The books here would simply be uh, the canon, uh, what he would have taken with him, which would have been uh, writings of the Old Testament. Uh, he references Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet who is serving about the same time as Daniel, just a little before. Remember, Jeremiah's ministry is to prophesy to the people prior to them being led away into captivity. So Daniel would have been very familiar with uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah himself was never taken uh, into Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah remained uh, back uh, in the in the uh, in the Bible lands, and uh, so Daniel is studying all of this and looking at this. Um, then, verse three: I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Uh, Daniel would typically pray three times a day. Uh, this prayer that's recorded here in chapter nine is most likely uh, vespers uh, or the time of the evening sacrifice. Uh, so he still, uh, even in Babylon, attempted to keep the regular schedule of prayer uh, that would have been similar to the temple there uh, in Jerusalem, even though he was away from it. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Does that sound familiar? It should. So Daniel's prayer here is just a reiteration of what, really? of Scripture, of that which has been written and comes before. So we can tell even by Daniel's writing, uh, kind of like as you read any Luther sermon or Luther writing uh, or other church fathers, you can tell when they have spent a lot of time in the Scriptures because you'll hear similar phrases that will come back up. In Daniel's case, of course, the Lord has chosen him as a prophet and to speak, uh, but we see similar themes. So that's why, again, Scripture interprets Scripture. We go back and look through that. Verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled 
turning aside from your commandments and rules. Uh, We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of our land. So Daniel takes very seriously here his role as being appointed by God, uh, not only to speak to the people, but also to speak on behalf of the people, okay? which is exactly what Daniel is doing. So he is uh, placing himself squarely with who? Who is Daniel uh, placing himself alongside of? The Babylonians? The Jews, the Israelites, the people of God, all those who have had faith. And he said, hey, you know, and he's going to get more specific in the prayer. We've deserved what God has allowed to take place because we have rejected God's word. So notice what Daniel does not do. He does not say, oh, God, I have done a good job remaining faithful while you've stuck me here with this Babylonian horde, and I've managed to keep my confession of faith. Please be with those who have not done that. I mean, he just lumps himself in with with all people. How and why is he doing that? Well, again, from the study of Scripture, all of us are sinful and unclean as we confess in the general confession. Out of a man's heart, even Daniel's, comes every manner of, uh, of unrighteousness, of sin. In sin did my mother conceive me, King David wrote. Um, and so all of us sinful by nature. Um, and so Daniel is simply uh, recognizing uh, that, that he is yet a sinner and that all of God's people stand in the same place. Okay, just raise your hands or email if you have any questions here as we go through. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, so we've not paid attention to your actual word and how you have given us that word. We've looked elsewhere. Those who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, And to all Israel, so this is both northern and southern kingdom, so this is God's people, uh, and those who are far away, those who would have been, uh, you know, uh, dispersed, the diaspora, so these these are all uh, all, uh, believers now in God, um, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, our kings, our princes, we've sinned against you, verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and uh, turned aside, refusing to obey your verse, your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, uh, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. That's interesting here in 13, Daniel here is pointing out that there is truth. There is what we would say absolute truth. And where is this truth found for Daniel? What has he referenced over and over again so far in this prayer? The prophets, the law of Moses. He's referenced Scripture. Okay? So for Daniel, everything goes back to what has been recorded, what has been done, um, and God has spoken in that way. And so for Daniel, the truth is found in what God has said in Holy Scripture. 
okay? So for, you know, us Bible-thumping, Bible-believing Lutherans, uh, Scripture alone, sola scriptura, um, we see, uh, you know, support for this. Um, that uh, that's where we start with absolute truth and add nothing else alongside of that, okay? Uh, scripture alone. Now, O Lord, our God. Oh, let's see. Let me go back here. 13. The Lord has kept, okay. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord, our God, is righteous in all the works he's done, and we've not obeyed his voice. So God's voice is through scriptures and through those who God has called, the prophets. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. In these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Okay? So the, the last way that we New Testament folks would say that God has spoken is through Jesus. We don't look for new voices or new revelation uh, for Scripture um, apart from Jesus. And, of course, uh, to those who he gave that authority to speak and do miracles in his name, which would be the 12 apostles plus, you know, Paul, one abnormally born, okay? Um, and that's why our New Testament books are written by who? Those guys, <laughs> right? And so that's who the early church recognized. This is the Vivivox Christe, uh, the very living, vibrant, very voice of Christ uh, speaking to us, okay? Uh, and now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we've sinned, we've done wickedly, okay? Uh, 16, O Lord, uh, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, sanctuary which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Okay? Um, now pay attention here at verse 19. Verse 19 of Daniel 9 is often referred to as the Kyrie of the Old Testament. Okay? See if you recognize why it's called the Kyrie of the Old Testament. Ready? O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. So Kyrie, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. So listen to the repetition. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. And then he goes on. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Now why is Daniel so concerned with Jerusalem? Isn't Jerusalem just the place where people live? What's, what's his concern with God turning his face once again to Jerusalem and not forsaking it? Okay, so two things for those listening at home because you don't have a mic on. Um, so Jerusalem is special and unique because, first of all, it's where God would literally visit with his people. Zion, his holy hill, the holy mount of Jerusalem, it's where God would now come and manifest himself, where the sacrifices were required to be made. Uh, pay attention in our uh, gospel text for today. It's the uh, present, the purification of Mary and also of Jesus at the temple required by the law. Okay, so Jesus now uh, is also fulfilling all this law that God has said. So two turtle doves. Um, you know, Jesus shed his blood for you first when he was circumcised. 
Um, and so that's why during these 12 days of Christmas, um, you know, we have these, these wonderful acts recorded for us of what Jesus is actually doing and what his parents are doing uh, as Jesus is fulfilling the law. So Jerusalem is where uh, God had descended, uh, but now God had withdrew, withdrawn his presence from the temple. He allowed the temple to fall into enemy hands, if you will, unbelievers. He allowed it to literally be raised, uh, uh, R-A-Z-E-D, <laughs> destroyed, um, uh, and so it's no more. So Daniel's saying, hey, Lord, we need Jerusalem back. If we're going to have your presence with us, we need Jerusalem back. Um, now, of course, we don't look to Jerusalem in the same way because now, uh, because Christ has come, the temple, as Jesus speaks, is Christ's own body, no longer the temple, and that's why, while it might be fun to go to the Bible lands, for us as Christians, the holy mount of Jerusalem is just a pile of rock and rubble. It's not a big deal for us. It, it's, it's, uh, it's a big deal only in the sense of understanding history, maybe, and what took place there in the past, but we no longer need the temple because Christ has now come, the presence of God in the flesh, the enfleshment of Jesus itself. Now, you had a second point that you made there that I just forgot. A few verses earlier, okay. Oh, yeah, desolate. So the desolation of Jerusalem is two things. One, it's desolate because God has done what? Withdrawn his presence there from the temple. It's, it's no longer, sacrifices are no longer being done. He's allowed that to happen. God has brought that to pass. So spiritually, it's desolate. It's also physically desolate because God has allowed, remember how big of a deal it was uh, for some of you people who have studied Leviticus and back to Exodus, you know, who could go in the Holy of Holies? Only the high priest and only once a year. All of a sudden now, the desecration of the temple is you've got, <laughs> you know, foreign people, um, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, who, who sacked Jerusalem um, and carried off all the temple, the things from inside the temple. Uh, so the lampstands and anything else that was there, uh, God allowed this to happen. And we shouldn't even just say allowed it. God caused all this to happen because his people had rejected him. So desolate spiritually, and now also desolate physically in terms of uh, they are taken away from Jerusalem, and so there is now no longer really physical presence of God's people governing and ruling in that place. Now it's a foreign body. Okay, um, Jeremiah echoes some of this. Were they ashamed when they committed uh, abomination? And abomination is a is a is a wide and varied word. One of them, uh, abominations, would have been the sacri uh, sacrificing of children to the god Molech. Abomination would also have been the turning uh, to other false gods. Um, would have been a rejection of, of God's word um, and, and just run through the Ten Commandments, pursuit of wealth. Um, and so these people who were so concerned about having the biggest earrings and nose rings and nipple rings. Uh, Jeremiah talks about them being pulled by their nose rings, <laughs> earrings, nipple rings, all these things. I mean, Scripture is very specific. You don't always get that in the English translations. Pulled into slavery, into Babylon, okay, by those things that they had placed so much import and value on. 
So they had made all these gods unto themselves, literally. Um, and so desolation um, is, is a wide and varied word, spiritual and physical, uh, that Jerusalem is, 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 is no more. Okay? Um, this would also apply when you, you think of just the, the commerce and the trade routes. So we know that Jerusalem and the Bible lands sit on major trade routes and always have uh, from uh, you know, Africa up to Greece. Uh, so to the, to the north, to the south, uh, to the, the, the northwest, the southwest, and obviously to the east as well. Um, and so now losing um, control of all of that, uh, th- this would have been you know, a desolation in terms of just a, a world power of, of uh, the northern and southern kingdom of God's people no longer controlling the lands that were the promised lands. They no longer had it. So it's all desolate, okay? Uh, it's almost like it's given back over to the Canaanites that they fought so hard <laughs> to kick out of the land or to convert uh, way back after they had the wilderness wandering. Um, but uh, Daniel's saying, hey, you know, we're not, we're not blaming you, God. We deserve this. We deserve what happened. Daniel is simply praying, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on us. Um, so, and I think that that's a good place for any true believer to start, is to not try and justify actions or that, is simply fall at God's feet. You know, think of the Samaritan woman who fell at Jesus' feet, you know, and uh, I'm not worthy to have even the crumbs from the master's table, uh, you know. Um, and I, I know my place is a dog. <laughs> so that's kind of what Daniel's doing here. Okay, that answer your question? Okay. All right, so 19 again, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention uh, and act, okay? Let's, uh, let's just take a look. I want to I uh, back up a little bit of what I told you, that what we've heard here in Daniel's prayer is an echo from the rest of Scripture. So if you could pull up Isaiah chapter 59, go to Isaiah 59 in your Bible. So let's pull up Isaiah 59. And what we want to see is if we hear anything that is similar to what we've heard in Daniel chapter 9. And I think you will, okay? Uh, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, uh, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So this is the the desolation, a little more uh, uh, explanation of what desolation is, that God has hidden his face. Uh, For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law. They rely on empty places. They speak lies. They uh, conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. We won't go through the whole rest of it, but I think you you get a sense for what Daniel... And this is Isaiah prophesying, you know, from God to the people. This is the problem. And now Daniel, many, many years later, is saying, hey, (laughs) yep, that's us. That's what we've done, okay? Uh, Go to Ezra, Ezra chapter 9. And I think it's kind of funny because we're we're also going to look at Nehemiah 9. So you get Daniel chapter 9. Of course, the chapters uh, aren't added later, uh, you know, uh, uh, they're added by the Masoretic scribes. So we don't place a whole lot of import on chapter, verse, divisions, that sort of thing. But sometimes I, 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 I see wonderful... Um, wonderful wisdom by how the Masoretes uh, divided up some of the chapters. 
So we've got three chapter nines, Daniel, and then Ezra, and then Nehemiah, and they're all very similar, okay, uh, which is kind of wonderful. So Ezra chapter nine. So after these things uh, had been done, the officials approached me and said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, blah, 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 blah. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, that the holy race has been mixed uh, with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithfulness, faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithfulness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment, my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord saying, all right, uh, great connections here okay, with what we're reading from Daniel. Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, uh, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. Our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. So Ezra here, like Daniel, is lumping himself with the people, and and this is um, you know original sin, sins of commission, sins of omission. It's all this for the days from the days of our fathers to this day we've been in great guilt, and for our iniquities we, our kings, our priests, have been given the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword to captivity, which was we're studying in Daniel, to plundering, to utter shame. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord to leave us a remnant. Um, and this concept of the remnant, pay attention, we get into our study of Revelation here this next year, because God always res- preserves um, a small group of faithful believers. We're told that uh, in the end times, as we get nearer to Judgment Day, there are more and more people, most of what we know is the church, will fall away from Christ. They will seek after what their itching ears want to hear, um, self-justification. They will invent truths and, and all of these things. Um, and there will be not a growing church. There will be a dwindling, much smaller church. Capital C church, meaning faithful believers. Okay? Um, So keep that in mind. We see that throughout Scripture as well with this concept of the remnant, okay? Uh, That's enough here of Ezra. You can read more of that if you want. Take us to Nehemiah chapter 9, and we're going to see again some similarities to Daniel chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. So you can see why at the beginning of, of, of of our Mass, of our divine service, we do a general confession. I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you, I've sinned against you in thought, in word, indeed, I'm paraphrasing all this, but this is a general recognition of who we are as sinners, okay? And then God speaks, right? Through the pastor, Christ speaks and says what? I forgive you, okay? Uh, I forgive you. What wonderful words, gospel, which is what the church is called to proclaim, okay? Uh, Not to give more law but simply to speak what Christ has done. And that's what our faith grabs hold of, okay? Uh, uh, Nehemiah 9. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. 
And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. I don't think we could get away. That's half the day. So 24 hours in a day roughly, although it's a little shorter now if you consider just uh, daylight and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, uh, how about that? Let's do that next Sunday. We'll spend four hours just reading from the book of the law. Okay, we'll cover the Ten Commandments and uh, the books of Moses. And the other, the other than four hours or so, we'll just spend the whole time confessing our sins. Does that sound good to you? <laughs> no, it doesn't. You wouldn't want to do that. Okay, that certainly wouldn't be enticing to get people to come to church. Oh, come to church for eight hours with us. We're going to read from a book and confess our sins for eight hours. Um, but this is a big deal. And, then, and they did this. Okay, uh, they, uh, And the stairs, the Levites... So this tribe of Levi stood, and here they're all referenced. They cried with a loud voice, and the same Levites said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. And pay attention to what, uh, if you're early service people, uh, Pastor Grady talked about what a blessing is. Uh, when we say, bless we the Lord, bless we the Lord, okay? Uh, pay attention to that. That's what they're doing here, and that's what we still do, uh, and what that means, which really is to give thanks. Um and, you know, God, you have made all these things. You are the Lord. Scroll on down a little bit. Go a little bit more. Um, so you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. You heard their cry. So we see Daniel referencing all the way back to the rescue from Egypt. Uh, keep going. Perform signs and wonders. Okay, stop. Um, and they performed against Pharaoh and his servants. For you knew they acted arrogantly. You made a name for yourself, O God. So it's all about God's name, not our name. Um, and it scrolls down, just a wonderful little history lesson. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire by day. You came to Mount Sinai. You gave them rules and laws, good statutes. You made note of them your holy Sabbath, so worship. Uh, you gave them bread from heaven, water from the rock. Uh, but now check this out, okay? Now that's a great there. Uh, uh, Nehemiah uh, 9 is a great summary uh, of, the, of the biblical story, if you will. Uh, here, look, pay attention to 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously. They stiffened their neck. Now, this phrase, stiffen your neck, it, it comes across quite a lot in Jeremiah as well. You stiff-necked people. Um, this is because what would you normally do with your neck in the presence of God? You would bow down. You would literally, bowing down is offering your neck to someone uh, in whom you are placing your very life. So the concept of bowing is always one of submission. Okay, that's not a law that we have. You have to bow and worship. If you're not a bower, you know, or a cross signer or whatever, that's okay. This isn't a law. But you need to understand why these traditions have been in the church and what they mean. Okay, so when you see somebody bow as the the cross of our Lord comes through, it's not that we believe that Jesus is actually on that cross that's being paraded down. We're not making an idol out of it. It's we believe that Jesus is here among us, where two or three are gathered. And if Jesus is here, how, how does that make me act out of submission and humility? You see that? That's all it is. Okay, And you'll see us as pastors at different times during the service, Okay, where it's emphasized that Christ is coming. Um, you know, during the, uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, when we sing the holy, 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 holy Lord God of Sabaoth, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, okay? When it gets to the blessed is he who comes in the Lord, you'll normally see us as pastors make a little bow. Why? Because 
we believe that Christ is actually coming here to be in the bread and wine, and it's simply a sign of reverence. Historically, whether you go west or east, uh, and you'll also see Lutheran pastors do this, not just Roman Catholic priests or Orthodox priests, you'll see them genuflect or bow. Normally, it's later at the words of institution, okay? But even then, you need to understand what's going on, even if you didn't grow up with that tradition. All these traditions are teaching what? Okay? The real presence of Christ. And in the presence of the Most High God, now our necks are not stiff and held high. You know, I mean, think of the big difference with, quote, contemporary worship. And it always drove me nuts. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, I'm a big guy. It just makes me uncomfortable. I've always been uncomfortable on the dance floor. I mean, I, I don't, I'll, go, I'll go make a fool out of myself because I don't really care. But, you know, in worship, it's like, you know, just you're throwing your, and it's like, I, yeah. I mean, for me, I, I, I'm more comfortable doing this if God is there, okay? Um, and that, that's what he's getting at with the stiff-necked people, okay? They did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of the wonders you performed. They stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return their slavery in Egypt. You are a God, however, ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So even though that's who we are as sinners, God's nature is love, Right? And that's why we hear about the New Testament, right? Uh, uh, the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love. Okay, these three abide, and the greatest of these is love. But not your love, the love that God has for you to yet save and rescue you and preserve you. Okay, love through Jesus Christ. Okay, now we don't have more time. I'd love to go through um, a Nehemiah. It'd be a great Bible study some other time because he, you know, he, he's like a pastor who kind of covers. I had a buddy once, whenever I listened to him preach, we would get like the whole story of the Bible in every sermon. You know, I mean, we just did. And, and so his first few years of being a pastor, it was kind of like, you know, you got Adam and Eve, and you got the Ten Commandments, and you got the Ark, and he just kind of fit everything in there, you know. And it's not that it was bad in any way, it was just like, you know. And so Nehemiah is really great because it kind of gives a snapshot of some of these things. Okay, enough of that. Let's go back to uh, Daniel. Any other questions or comments? On Daniel here, okay. Um, so let's uh, let's start now at twenty because this is this is pretty cool. What happens now? Uh, one of the archangels appears. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, which should be understand as God's presence come to be with His people. Remember, the dwelling place of God is with men. Uh, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So again, this is Vesper's evening prayer type of time. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. So Gabriel now is sent. He's a malachi. He's a messenger of God. Okay. Um, and uh, so God has sent Gabriel. God heard Daniel's pleas, sends Gabriel now to give him this word. You are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And now 
Here's what Gabriel gives, God gives through Gabriel to Daniel. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Okay, there's a lot there in that. Did you you catch all that again? Let me reread it. So 70 weeks are decreed, okay? What's going to happen within this time of 70 weeks, okay? Uh, One, it has to do with the holy city, which needs to be understood as the presence of God. The transgression needs to be finished. There needs to be an end to sin, meaning no more sin. There needs to be atonement, okay? Uh, There needs to be everlasting righteousness, not momentary or not temporary righteousness, eternal righteousness, Um, And all this needs to be sealed, and there needs to be anointed a most holy place. Hang on to that as we interpret this using Scripture. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, singular male, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Just nod your heads as if you understand all this, because I doubt you do. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Now, Bill, pay attention here. Here's the next one. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, you all understand that perfectly, right? You got it? (laughs) All right. Now, this is where, again, studying the rest of Scripture as we looked at Ezra and Nehemiah and Isaiah, this is why we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, because we can attempt to make some sense of this This sounds eerily familiar to what we're going to hear about in Revelation, okay? In Revelation, um, I don't want to get too far ahead into our next study, we're going to hear of a similar time period that is 1,000. Now, some Christians say, oh, we have to take all of this completely literally, okay? Um, These texts are not written in that way, okay? They are typological. Oh, it's a horrible marker. They are typological, okay? I mean, they are pointing to, to something else, okay? So in Revelation, we get a 1,000 years. Here in Daniel, we hear about this 70 weeks. Dear Santa, please bring me some new markers. That wasn't a prayer that was on my list, and it obviously didn't come to pass. All right, forget this. Just listen. I'm going to tell you. Okay? In Hebrew... Um, the, uh, when we see week, the word week in Hebrew literally is seven, the number seven, okay? So 70 years here, which is what you have in your English translation, in Hebrew is actually uh, 70 times seven, okay? Um, which would give you, if you want to do like years, 490 years, Okay? So all of this is symbolic, is typological, okay? The traditional understanding of this text 
is that all this starts at 538 B.C. when Darius Cyrus now uh, blesses God's people and allows them to start returning. Okay? Um, the first uh, seven, we, so we have 70 weeks that we're going to divide up from the time that Gabriel announces this until, you know, we would say some sort of an end, okay? One of the traditional explanations is that uh, the, uh, the first seven weeks is the time period between 538 B.C. and roughly 445 B.C. 445 B.C. is when the temple is rebuilt, Okay? So the seven weeks represents the amount of time from when Darius Cyrus lets God's people start to return and when the temple begins to practice worship again, okay? Then you have 62 weeks, and that time would be from 445 B.C. up until Jesus' birth, which would have been around 2 or 3 B.C., we think, somewhere around there. Okay? There is no year zero, by the way. Okay, we'll get into dates of Jesus some other time, okay? And then that would leave, that's 69 weeks, that would leave one week, and then traditionally scholars would say from the time of Jesus, his birth, then that last week would be from there until 135 B.C., which is when Hadrian conquers Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is finally no more. Now that traditional view centers around what? the temple around Jerusalem. I'm going to give you a better way, in my humble opinion, along with some other conservative scholars and church fathers, to look at these 70 weeks. These 70 weeks, I would submit to you based on other scripture, is from this time now of God's people until the resurrection of all flesh, until judgment day when Christ returns in glory and a new heaven and a new earth, okay? Now, if you take that view, these first seven weeks of the 70 would be from 538 B.C. until the time of Christ, right? 2 B.C. to 31, 33 A.D., okay? So this would be from, because uh, everything now for us, I would say, needs to be focused on who? Not the temple, but on Christ, so these seven weeks would be from 538 until Jesus. Then the 62 weeks um, are, we're living in it now. We are living in the end times now, just as we are living in the thousand years now. It's not a literal thousand years. It's been almost 2,000. It's typological, symbolic of the end times. So I would submit to you that there's seven, which would again be... Uh, fit well with Scripture, uh, that time until Christ comes. Once Christ comes, there's 62 weeks, a period of time, and then there's one week reserved for the Antichrist at the end, often referred to as the devil's little season. So things will get really bad right before Jesus returns. Scripture warns us of that. Do I think we're there yet? I don't personally. I think after studying history, people have gone through more than what we're currently dealing with. My humble opinion, you might have a different one, okay? But Scripture says right before Jesus returns, things are going to get really bad. <laughs> and a lot of people are also going to turn away from faith in Christ, and they're going to turn to whatever their itching ears want to hear, okay? Um, so 
We're going to pick up next week with a little bit more on this 70 weeks because you're probably like, well, that went by really quick. Um, we're going to flush it out just a little bit, but there's some different interpretation of that. Uh, but I would simply ask the where's Waldo question, where's Jesus and all of that, because that's how we interpret it, because all of this is testifying to him. Okay, yeah, I went four minutes past, I'm sorry. But we had to sing Pastor, uh, happy birthday to Pastor Grady. That was cool with his walker. He's a funny guy. I love him to death. All right, let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Before I say peace be with you, if you do have your study Bible, there's a little chart on page 1420. No, that's not right. Uh, 1417 about these 70 weeks. And that's kind of what I presented in a nutshell. We'll talk more about that. Okay, peace be with you. Bye-bye.